Survival Podcast, 12 Ways to Live Free in an Unfree World. And if you think that title sounds familiar, I actually did an episode, uh, 10 Ways to Live Free in an Unfree World, all the way back in 2015. I figure it's about time that we uh, re-address this topic, though it is something we kind of talk about all the time anyway now, isn't it, you know? Um, But... I wanted to. I just wanted to have a chat today about more practical things. As I said yesterday on the show, yesterday on the show we talked about the blood and guts, the the gore, the apocalypse, the shit hitting the fan, all of the stuff, the prepper porn, the things that everybody wants to hear about, how bad things are and how bad they could possibly get. But it doesn't really do us any good, other than awareness. I've talked about this before, but it's a lot like tuning into Weather Channel. You watch the Weather Channel and you know a storm's coming, but the reason you should be doing that isn't for like, uh, you know, informational entertainment purposes. It should be like, oh, the storm's coming. I need to do these things so that I'm less likely to have my property damaged or be injured or killed or something like that, including get the hell out because, you know, this is a Category 5 hurricane and I live on the coast or something like that. Well, today is the stuff that you can do about the stuff that you're worried about. And it's, we'll talk a little bit about prepping proper today, just one of the many things that we'll talk about today, but most of this is more lifestyle design. It's also one of Jack's dirty little tricks, and those of you who have been around for a while probably have already figured it out. It's a way for us to talk about a big, scary word that in some ways is symbolized by that flag behind me on the wall there, and that is dun-dun-dun. Anarchy. And anarchy likely isn't what you think that it is. Um, This is active anarchy. And active anarchy is what I also refer to as proactive apathy. Don't worry, we'll talk about that more today. Let's just say what anarchy isn't. Anarchy is not spoiled young adult children living in their parents' basements, listening to thrash music and playing games while wearing a black shirt with a red A on it. That's not anarchy. That's not an, That's no more anarchy than when a little kid goes out and wears a Texas Rangers jersey and pretends he's whoever is good on the Rangers right now hitting home runs and pretends he's that person. It, it, the two things are not the same. One is the actual player that's really good at the game, and he's playing the game at a professional level. The other one is a kid who dreams of growing up and being that person, even though he probably won't. That's the best analogy I can give you there. It's certainly not burning down buildings. It's not demonstrating in the streets and being a nonconformist by going out and getting the same tattoo that 5,000 other people have and thinking you're a nonconformist. It isn't hating everyone who's a cop. It's not hating everybody who works in the system while you yourself take advantage of the system. It's not even really a political view. It certainly isn't going out in the streets and protesting for more government while you claim to be opposed to the government itself as an anarchist. That's not anarchy. It's an ethical view of the world. 
And they're firm beliefs that we have. Those of us who have realized that this is what we are. We didn't become anarchists. We didn't one day say, oh, I'm an anarchist, even if we might have. But we've revealed to ourselves that in our true nature of what we are as humans, this is the ethical view that we have. We are opposed 100% to coercion against free and peaceful people. You should not be able to force anybody to do anything they don't want to do unless you're acting in some form of defense of yourself or others. It is a belief that theft and force outside of defensive force, again, are wrong. 100% of the time, all the time, no matter what costume you wear, what badge you have, what title you have, how many other people decided to raise their hand and say that you were allowed to do it, you're not allowed to do it to someone who says no. That's what anarchy is. Um, and here's what we who have found this philosophy, discovered this philosophy within ourselves, have realized. Society is currently, and has been for most of existence, a bunch of spoiled adult children who just want what they want, no matter how they get it. And we accept that the vast majority of society are not ready for the type of discussion we're going to have today. They are not willing to follow those ethics, and that's why they feel they need a state for two reasons. One, because they're Karens and Kyles, and they're worried that somebody over there may be something they don't like. And they want to feel some level of control in preventing those people from doing things they don't like. But they also don't trust themselves to be moral, ethical, and upright individuals. And they feel that they need to submit to an authority so that they can be better. And that's okay. We just don't want to take part in it with them. We know that we're not going to see the type of world that we believe in in our lifetimes. We will die, and mostly things will not change. But we know that every change is cumulative across time. So we think seven, eight, even nine generations into the future. And our hope is that if we can continue to push the envelope in that direction, that maybe our great, great, great times five grandchildren will live in a totally free society. If not, at least that their society will have far more freedom and liberty than ours. And this is historically what has happened. And I'll acknowledge this as we get into this discussion today. We are more free than most people were in, let's say, 1650 or 1750. We really are. We have a lot more freedom and a lot more opportunity than people had a few hundred years ago. And a lot of people that defend the state will say, well, look, see, would you rather go back to having monarchs and dictators and whatever? By the way, everybody we disagree with is a dictator, no matter how they got in power. They're a dictator. Our people in power, not dictators. Governments totally run mostly by appointed bureaucrats who are never voted for or elected. They're the ones that actually control everything. There's millions of them. They're all paid with your money. But this is not a dictatorship. But those people over there, they have a dictator because we don't like them. We just don't play that game anymore. We quit. But here's the big thing. And every time I have this discussion with y'all, I think I hear from dozens of people, at least, that are relatively new to the show and never heard it before, that say, oh, my God, that's what I am. I really am an anarchist. I didn't know it. I didn't know it. And we'll talk about some things today. Is like Anarchy is really more like a dimmer switch. It's not an on-off button. It's something you discover about yourself in time. Many of you have actually been practicing anarchy for most of your life. In fact, it's almost inevitable that every single person that hears this, even if you were forced to listen to it against your will, which I'm, I'm not really 
four. Don't do that. But if somebody shared it with you and you humored them and thought, yeah, I'll give this crazy guy a listen. No matter how much you are a statist, you are also an anarchist. There are two beings in you. And they're in conflict with each other. But as you'll discover today, you're probably already partly an anarchist. And we'll talk about that and more in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today is KnifeKits.com. Hey, knives are big, scary things the state hates. You know what you should do? You should go out and build one. And better than that, how about building one with a kiddo, like a son, a daughter, a niece, a nephew? What a great way to create a family heirloom while both of you learn some really awesome skill sets. And it's not that hard because knife kits makes it easy where you can buy a kit knife and some handle material and things like that. They even have books and DVDs and stuff that will help you along the way if you've never done anything like this before. They have Kydex for making holsters, blue guns so that you can make holsters for guns you don't own for other people. Uh, Knifekits.com is a really great way to move into a hobby, potentially a side hustle, and even maybe a full-time business. So check them out today at knifekits.com. Next up today, sponsor the day number two, Fortress Canine. Uh, I'm sorry, Canine Academy. Fortress Canine's Joel's uh, website where he actually sells protection dogs. But what if you want to know how to train your own dogs really well? well what you want to do is you want to go over to canineacademy.us, though I'd really appreciate it if you go to my website, thesurvivalpodcast.com, click on his banner there or a link in today's show notes or something like that, uh, just so Joel knows where his business is coming from because he's a new sponsor and we want to make sure that we're actually sending him business. But what you learn at Fortress Canine, I'm sorry, Canine Academy, is how to train your dog by learning first how to train yourself. There are some really great courses available, uh, but what I recommend everybody at least consider, take the Canine Academy Basics course, 89 bucks, one-time fee, see if it's right for you. And the beauty of this is it's the core obedience training for your dog and for you, because any good trainer will tell you the most difficult uh, species they work with. It's not going to be like Malinois or German Shepherd or Poodle. It's going to be human being. It's training the human that's the hard part. And anything you want to do with your dog, you want to make your dog just a good homestead dog that doesn't eat chickens and keeps away predators, you start with core obedience. You want to make your dog into a protection dog that you can actually take out in the public, stable, but will protect you and defend you and your family if you need to, then you start with core obedience. You want a dog you can take out in the field, and they're going to do a good job for you as a bird dog or a, a, you know, a beagle chasing rabbits. I don't care what it is. You're going to start with dun, 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 core obedience. And almost every time that I talk to people that have a dog that they have issues with, um, you, when you get right down to it, the dog doesn't have the core obedience. The dog doesn't have the core obedience. It just doesn't. You know, there's a proverb. I'm not a big Bible guy, but there's a proverb. Train up a child in the way that he is, go, she sh he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's about core obedience. Anyway, real quick, a lot of times people ask me about my shirt. Most of the time, I'm wearing a shirt that comes from SOE Tactical Gear, and in this case, it's no exception. Defund politicians. I thought that was good for today, and you can find it at originalsoegear.com. Get on over and check it out. John Willis has been a good friend of the show since almost the day we started. Not quite, but damn close to it. 
uh, for a very long time. John's just been a huge supporter of the show. He supported me uh, in the very beginning when I was absolutely nobody. And I mean, nobody was listening. I mean, there were like 12 listeners on iTunes back in 2008. It was probably the first time I heard from John. He sent me gear. Uh, we've worked together with stockings for soldiers to send stuff off to guys overseas. And to this day, he's still sending me gear, T-shirts and stuff like that. It's just a good thing. All right. So let's dig into this and chat about anarchy. Well, let's start off with what is freedom? I said we give you 12 ways to live free in an unfree world. Don't you think we should start off with what is freedom and what does that have to do with anarchy? First of all, I think that there is no single unified definition of freedom. I think we, it's a lot like what is permaculture. We all do our best in this space to define it in a way that resonates with others, but we know that true freedom is individual. That's what makes it freedom. So what is freedom to me and what is freedom to you may look totally different. What makes it work is when we acknowledge that each of us have the right to that definition and that my desires for what I want in my life should not apply to you as to what I want for you in your life. I should not live for you. I will never live for another man, nor ask another man to live for me. That's freedom. That's freedom. You say, oh, whoa, 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 Jack, what about slavery? Okay, look. We're going to get to the non-aggression principle, but clearly that would violate the non-aggression principle. What if somebody just came and took everybody's way? That would violate the non-aggression principle. So you have to be an ethical, moral, upstanding person to live as an anarchist and actually be an anarchist. Because we already covered this. Anarchy is not burning down people's property. It's not stealing from people. It's not fucking up the lives of people who are not the people you have a beef with to make a point to the people you have a beef beef with, right? So these people that are out, for instance, blocking highways because the climate change, that is not anarchy. Now, see, what, what authority has done is tricked you into believing that anarchy is bad and violent. And the reason is anarchy is the single biggest threat to their power base because their power base only exists because we believe in it. We believe in it. I don't care how much power you think government has. If the vast majority of people choose not to believe in government, it vanishes like a fart in the wind. It vanishes. You can go back to every great tyranny. You can go back to some well, well, Nazis. Not Okay, yeah, okay, let's go Nazis in Nazi Germany. So the average German believed in the authority of the Nazi state and actually in some way tacitly or overtly you know, promoted it and was part of it. If you have a nation of, let's say, 330 million people like we have in the United States today, and 300 million of them say, no, we're not doing this. You can't, you can't force them to. 30 million people can't force 300 million people to do anything with brute force. They can do it with propaganda and manipulation and control and making you believe that you need them. They can do that. Anarchy is the antithesis of that. It is a statement. I don't need you. Maybe these other people do. That's fine. But I'm not participating. The thing about movements like that, since they're based on morality and truth, they tend to spread. 
They tend to become their own thing. And they tend to become decentralized by nature. There's not one head of one snake you can cut off and kill the whole thing. It's a hydra with millions of heads and billions of tentacles. That's the long-term way. And the real goal of anarchy is anti-political. It's not a political goal. You're not going to see the anarchist party on a ballot anywhere. Not if it's real anyway. There will never be an anarchist party because it needs to be decentralized because we can't all agree on everything the way things should be, except for one thing, leave everybody alone. The goal of anarchy is to make people turn their backs on the political institutions. Maybe accept that they're there and there's things that you have to do to not be stupid to keep yourself like out of prison. Because I promise you, if you're in prison, you will have less liberty than you have right now. Right? You will have less liberty. So you don't go to prison as an anarchist if you're smart anymore. But you do turn away, and when I say turn away, I don't mean deny the existence of, I mean, in the words of Buckminster Fuller, since their system is so bad, then we need to invent a new system. And we need to invent new systems, S, plural. Because if we don't, we don't get anywhere. We are not controlled by the system. We are controlled by the systems. One of the great, beautifully subtle deceptions is that people commonly say the system. Well, the system controls everything. The system this, the system that. As long as you're saying that you are professing a belief, in a religious-like manner, by the way, in a one, the one true system. There is one true system, and thou shalt have no false systems before me. That's the state's directive. But the state itself knows that it, too, is a multi-headed Hydra, with tens of thousands of tentacles and millions of heads. The system is not just the state. It's corporations working in consort with the state, which we call, by the way, fascism. That's what it is. And there are ways to fight it. The limitations that we currently have, though, are that system is there, and that system of systems is there, and... They can do things to ruin your life. They can do things to damage you. They can do things to hold you back. And that whole place exists because we have a desire to live in society rather than run away and hide in the woods because this is what you hear. You hear two things when you tell somebody that you are an anarchist if they are about about statist. The number one one, which is completely idiotic and moronic, and I'm probably going to Irish prison again now. Those who got yesterday's show know where that's from. Is, we'll move to Somalia. Okay, Somalia is not an anarchy. Somalia is a failed state where the people in authority can do things to you, but not for you. That's not an anarchy. Or, why don't you just move out in the woods and live in a cave then? Because I paid for my house, asshole. That's why. Because I earned my living, asshole, that's why. Because I work in an environment where no one is required to give me anything, and every penny I earn is because people have chosen to exchange value with me, and you don't get to fucking tell me where or how to live. I said we were peaceful. I didn't say we took shit from people. There's a big difference there. 
And so we have to accept those limitations and realize there's what we call in permaculture an interactive edge. There is a place where our desire for freedom runs up against the state's desire to oppress freedom. And our goal is to push the edge back as far as we can, but understand the edges there. And that's how we stay out of prison and still get the things done that we want. We accept that our version of 100% of freedom is not what we will have. But like a pig versus a cow, like I've talked about this before, the average person in the Western world especially has become human cattle. Cattle don't go feral very often. It happens, but it's not real common. Cows, when they get out, tend to just stay together and like walk down the road until the sheriff comes on four-wheelers. If you're from Texas, you know this, and pushes them back where they belong. They just, if they're going somewhere, it's because, hey, that grass over there looks better, and the gate's left open, and there's not a cattle guard, so guys, let's go over there and eat. That's how humans are. They'll do things that the state doesn't like, but only because they're just kind of aimlessly wandering toward it. There's no real plan involved. You put a pig on a property, and you put a fence around that property, and that pig will constantly look for a way out. And if it finds a gap, you know, an inch big, it will work on that gap to enlarge it until it can get out. And when it gets out, it is fucking gone. And if it gets out, and it turns out it was in one cage, and there's a larger cage, like an onion layer on the outside of it, it doesn't fucking care. It's like, oh, man, I did all that work, and I only got a little bit more freedom. No, it's like, let's go, bitches. Let's find another crack. And it will keep expanding its range until you have, like, Four million feral hogs living in Texas. That's an anarchy. They don't give a shit what you want. They don't care what you want. Sometimes I think that the survival podcast mascot should be the wild pig because that is the way to look. But more often, I think the real survival podcast animal mascot should be the fire ant as much as I hate them. And this is why. The fire ants don't run off in the woods. They build their nest right in your backyard, right out of the open. And they're like, here, screw you. I don't care if you don't like it. And they pretty much, as much as I hate them, in general, they can, if you leave them alone, they leave you alone. They don't, like fire ants don't come, mar- they're not army ants, right? They don't come marching into your house and like attack you in bed. But fuck with their house fuck with their babies, and see what happens. They are the, they are the you know, people say that the porcupine, because the libertarian symbol is fuck around and find out animal. Fire ant is fuck around and find out, because that bitch will bite you and sting you at the same time. And by the way, you know why it hurts? A little tiny stinger and little mouth parts, and they're biting you and stabbing you with their ass. But it hurts like hell, because they piss formic acid into the wound, and sometimes they stay there until you kill them, but a lot of times they bail ass and they're gone. They're not like bees. They don't die. Right? They don't die because they bit you. And they they suck. It's, unless you leave them alone. That's anarchy. Done right. Anyway. Um, it's also 
on a frequency of like a dimmer switch. So I want you to understand there are things in your life that you live as an anarchist right now, even if you are a person. I go and I vote every two years, not just every four. If there's an off-year election, I'll vote five times in five years. I vote on everything, and I think you're wrong. You probably still live as an anarchist sometimes. Here's an example. When you got up this morning, did somebody tell you what socks to put on? Did they tell you what shoes to wear? Did they tell you what to have for breakfast? When you went to the grocery store, did you get told what to buy by somebody else? If you didn't, you lived in those moments in anarchy. You were free to make your own decision, and you did so, with no regard to what anybody else wanted. Now, if you have a job, you have to dress in a way that conforms to that job. That's part of your contract with an employer. Well, that wouldn't be anarchy. Actually, that is anarchy. You chose to take the job. The employer set the dress code that you were told about when you took the job. You are now acting in anarchy. See how that works? That's anarchy in action. Now, there may be things within that scope that the state is overseeing that aren't anarchy. But if they're not enforced by or enabled by the state, it's free people making free decisions about what they do with their life for their own benefit in a mutually beneficial way with another party. That's anarchy. So now think to yourself, how many times have you self-organized individually or with a group to go do a thing because you wanted it done? Not because somebody made you. Not because the state's like, if you don't cut your grass, we're going to give you a fine. And this is where it gets interesting. I don't cut my grass so the state won't give me a fine. First of all, where I live right now, I can let the grass grow over the house. No fine. Yet I cut my grass when I need to. When the ducks aren't eating enough of it, gets too high, whatever, I jump on a lawnmower, a little riding lawnmower, a little tractor, John Deere, that I bought with my own money, came to me from voluntary business that other people did with me, gas that I paid for, and the only thing that screws this up is the state stole money when I bought the gas and what's called a gas tax. But I get on that tractor and I drive around and mow my grass, even though nobody is going to make me. Now, if I live two miles down the road and I didn't mow the grass, I could get a fine from the little city down there, which is, they call themselves a city. They ain't a city. 1,100 people are not a city. I'm sorry. Um, It's a town. And if I live there, they could make me cut my grass. If I live there, I would still cut the grass. Not because I'm afraid of the fine. I'm choosing to cut the grass because it's best for my property. And what this makes me think of is this was actually really encouraging me a few years ago. We had uh, more than a few years ago, probably eight years ago, seven years ago, something like that. We had the most ridiculous amount of rain in our spring that we have ever had. We had 29 days of rain over at least half an inch per day. And many days were three, four, five inches in May. So it rained 29 out of, what, 31 days in measurable rainfall, and many times we rained multiple times a day. And so a lot of people in the area got caught behind, you know, in being able to mow and stuff like that. So a a person from the city of Fort Worth, uh, along with Tarrant County, 
came out on our next door and said, hey, there's a lot of overgrown grass, and it's only to be this high by code. If you have a, here's how you report your neighbor for not cutting their grass. I think we created a, a policy change at next door because my people around me just started banging away with places that you needed to go cite those people, and they were all property owned by the city or the county. The highway divider on 199, man, whoever's responsible for that, go find the shit out of them. Hey, you look at that lot, the, the sheriff's substation down there in Lakeside uh, or Lake Worth. Uh, their grass looks like it exceeds, and like it was just boom, it was brutal. That was anarchy, by the way. Just self-organized, brutal attack. And now, when the city or state or county people post on next door, they are exempt from having people comment. There's no option to turn comments off on next door, but they have one because they don't want to hear what people really think about them. Isn't that interesting? That would also be anarchy because next door is a private company. They have every right to do it. You have every right to not use them. All right. So let's start. Like, so I, I, as I talk about when I, they got out of that, that soliloquy there, I'm, I was talking about it, the dimmer switch. And so I'm saying you already have all these ways you practice anarchy. And there is going full bore, like, and that is not, I'm going to go out and walk down the highway naked or something like that. It is an absolute conviction and belief in your heart and your soul ethically that it is not okay for one poor person to force another person to do a thing or to take their rightfully acquired property against their will if they're not harming anyone. And once you get there, you're a full-on anarchist. But most people just can't go there because there's all the what-ifs and the but, right? What about the roads? You don't have to worry about the roads. First of all, the state does a shitty job with the roads anyway. I'm just saying. And we're so far from getting to that part of getting the state out of our life. That is so into the seventh, eighth night. You don't have to worry about that. I just want kids to be able to go out and have a fucking lemonade stand without being arrested. But there's a law against it, right? So we don't need to worry about that. Builder of Castles says where we're going, we don't need roads. And that's probably, by the time we get to where we can have that discussion, we probably won't need them anyway. We can get where about them we get it. But people will slowly begin to turn that dimmer switch up. And it kind of goes like this. Most people are statists, even if they call themselves small government Republicans, or they're full-on states. Because they just think the other side's wrong, doesn't matter what. And they start to grow up. And that's what this is really about, growing the fuck up and realizing I don't need you. I, like, I don't need mommy to tell me to wash my hands before I eat anymore. I don't need you. I don't need medical experts telling me 97 times every fall to sneeze into my elbow. I don't need you for that. You can go fuck yourself. And so it starts out with little things like that. But there's something about this path, if it's genuine, if it's really in your heart yearning for more freedom, every time you get to this next scary step, and you turn the dimmer switch up a little more, you realize the flaw is that you've only removed some of the cancer. Because that's what, like, LP, Libertarian Party Libertarianism is. You have this really big tumor, 
And the surgeon's like, I can take the whole thing out. And you go, can you, can you leave a little bit? I mean, I just don't want to give it all up. Well, at Denver Switch, when it goes all the way, we excise the entire tumor. And it is a way of thinking and believing in some ways like a faith or a religion. So I am not a Christian, full disclosure, even though I quoted the Bible today, and I probably will again. <clears throat> I was raised Roman Catholic, and I was raised Ukrainian Catholic at the same time because I had two competing grandparent camps for this. And I literally went to Catholic schools on both sides of this. It was very, uh, it was all the guilt of being a Jew and a Catholic put together is what it was like when it was all said and done with. Um, but there's a commandment that I fully agree with in the Bible, in the Old Testament as well. Thou shalt not steal. I don't need the threat of God or the confessional of a priest to say, I'm not going to steal. I don't need it. I choose not to steal because it is in conflict with my ethical and moral beliefs. See how simple that is? And we would probably have a lot less people stealing if we simply taught it that way versus saying, if you steal, Johnny, you'll get a ride in a cop car and you go to jail. It's morally and ethically wrong to steal because it's wrong when somebody steals for you. So why doesn't the state teach it that way? Because then Johnny might go, wait a minute, my daddy says that people take money from him all the time. My daddy says that we have to pay money so we don't get thrown out of our house. Well, Johnny, that's a mortgage. No, no, dad said that he has to pay the, 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 the pricks down at the courthouse like $5,000 a year in, in something called property taxes for the property he already owns. That doesn't seem right to me. Shut up, Johnny. See, so you can't have that discussion. So moving on. What do we do? Well, how about this? Number one, write your own contracts. Write your own contracts. Now, as you, as you begin in this, you may want to voluntarily pay an attorney to go, what are my flaws? You write your contract. And one thing you need to know about writing a contract, Com freaking fly, um, common law principle is that if there's any ambiguity in a contract, it benefits the party that did not draft it. That's an interesting thing to look at with the Constitution, by the way, because check this shit out. Just a little side note here. The Constitution is a contract between the member states and the people, and the federal government is not party to the contract. The federal government is the result of the contract. Got that? If you and me and three other people get together and we form a corporation, corporation is not party to the contract. Our articles of incorporation, which are a contract as to how the corporation will run, that generate the corporation and maybe even allow for things like the appointment of a board of directors, that the founders of the company, the owners of the company, may not even be on that board, depending on what they want to do. But the company is never a party to the contract because it can't be because it can't exist until the contract is executed. When the, when the member states that were part of the, 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 the uh, Articles of Confederation at the time got together and ratified the contract we currently exist under, that federal government didn't exist, and the federal government that did exist was not party to the contract created the new one. The member states were. Who drafted it? Well, the member states drafted it. So if there's any ambiguity in the in the contract, it should benefit the people who claim the liberty. 
Just a little legal side note there. Federal government is not party to the Constitution as a contract. The member states and the people are. That's it. That is all. Infinity, go out. But you need to like start drafting your own contracts, mainly not because lawyers aren't good, because lawyers are agents of the state by design. What you need to do in a contract mainly is you need to put in the way that uh, disputes will be handled. And this is what I've always done with mine. I require that if there's a dispute in the contract, that both parties are required to first seek non-binding arbitration. There's companies that do this. In other words, the arbitrator will listen to both parties like a, like a judge and then say, this is what I think you should do. And if you take this further, I think this will be the result that you will get instead. And then you look at each other and go, hmm, you know, I've always heard that the dream client for an attorney is rich, angry, and wrong. And now I think I understand why that's the case. So maybe we should take the advice of this non-binding arbitrator. It's a diplomacy solution. You give a little, you give a little. I think this can be worked out. You guys don't want to work together more here, so I think you should dissolve. That's a non-binding arbitration. So in my contracts, stage one of, of dispute resolution, non-binding arbitration, private non-binding arbitration. If that happens and fails, then you must go to a private binding arbitration company, no state. And then it doesn't say this, but what would be implied then is if I receive a binding ruling and I'm the one that has to pay, even though it's, you know, by contract, I think I'm right, I have to pay. If I don't do what the binding arbitrator said, then the counterparty can go to the state court system and go, here's the decision from binding arbitration, and they can simply use it for enforcement. That alone would cost the state billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. Most of the shit that ends up in our court system does not need to end up in our court system. It doesn't. We recently had an issue. We ended up getting a refund. Um, this was not someplace I could write a private contract. It was somebody that was doing work for us and didn't do it right. And uh, when we made our case to them, they just gave us our money back. So we were like, okay. Had they not, then I would have sought the, 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 the court solution. That, but I could have done that. And I could have got more than my money back. I guarantee you. There's a little fact people don't know about in quite a few counties in Texas, this is the case. If you are a corporation and you are sued by a private individual, the private individual can represent themselves in small claims court, but the company is required to retain an attorney no matter how low the, the suit is for. So you can sue them for like 2500 bucks. They have to go get an attorney. You can't get an attorney to do anything for 2500 bucks. So it's really not fair to the corporation. And I could have done that and been a prick, but that would have been counter to my beliefs. I attempted to resolve the situation first, and we were able to. And we were able to. Um, next, you should attempt to resolve all differences without the state. That's a perfect example I just gave you there. Since we didn't have a contract, we didn't seek a vindictive solution using an agency of the state on our behalf, even though not only would we have won, we probably would have gotten more money out. I could have been litigious here. I could have went in with my tax returns and said, Your Honor, this is how much I make a day. I'm a sole proprietorship business. 
and I employ myself, and there's no other employees here. And I make this much money a day. And this has cost me 10 days of my work. I had to learn how to file this. I call it court costs, call it inconvenience. And there were some other things that I could have been, like this actually took time away from my business. And I could come up with some other bullshit. And I could have taken what ended up being an $850 refund. And I could have sucked three or four grand out of this guy. And he would have paid me to avoid court because it would have cost him more than that to go to court. But I didn't do it. Try not to use the state systems unless you absolutely have to because you're dealing with someone else who is insistent upon it. But take it down to much simpler things. Your neighbor doesn't like something you're doing. You can tell, but he hasn't complained about it. But you know he really doesn't like it. You can tell. Go talk to him. Hey, man, I see that this is, is there something I could do? Is this bothering you? A lot of times I'll say no. Are you sure? Because if there is, is there anything that I could do to make this better for you. You have a problem with your neighbor. Hey, man, can I talk to you? I've noticed this thing, and here's what is causing a problem for me. Is there any way we can work this out together? How many cops, would less cops, would show up at people's doorsteps if we all did that? I'd say there's millions of encounters with law enforcement that would be avoided every year. And a lot of times these encounters with law enforcement end badly, violently, they even end in death, or they end up with a person being arrested, that has, and the reason they're arrested has nothing to do with why the call was made. And then all the people that claim to be anarchists go out in the streets and burn shit down because of one of these events, but they're the kind of people that will immediately pick the phone up and call the police. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed these assholes are out in the street? They got the red, the red A on their black hoodie and their mask on, and they ran away from mommy so she doesn't know they're out there. And they go and they fuck around and find out with the wrong person. And that person decks the shit out of them and they hit the ground. And what do all the other little bitches do? Somebody call the police. I'm sorry, I thought you were out here opposed to the police. Right? Always try to resolve it in absence of the state, especially law enforcement. When you point a cop at somebody, you're pointing a gun at them. If what they're doing won't make you point a gun at them, don't point a fucking cop at them. I'm just saying. Next, I want us to all give the state less money. One way we can do that is either to create or find true nonprofit entities that actually support causes we believe in in our own backyards. Don't give money to people like the Red Cross. The Red Cross is run by scum. I I said what I said. I will not apologize for it. Here's where I realized that all these big charities need to be avoided like the plague. Right after the Haitian earthquake, the Red Cross took all this imagery of all these collapsed cinder block buildings, all this flooding, all these suffering people, all this misery, And they came out with a giant ad campaign. They spent millions of dollars on it. And they said to the American people, look at this horror. Imagine if it was you and your children. Please help us help them. They raised $500 million, half a billion dollars. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Haiti, but you could rebuild Port-au-Prince as a new city for $500 million in Haiti. Like You could do a lot with $500 million in Haiti. 
And I had people from a small charity on the show who went to Haiti multiple times to help. They saw nothing that the Red Cross did. They found one empty water tank with a Red Cross on it in the middle of a field with no infrastructure or support and a poster from the Red Cross on a building and inside the building was nothing from the Red Cross. Half a billion dollars sucked up for one thing did nothing. That <laughs> somebody's saying apparently nastier things about the Red Cross than me. And uh, there it is if you want to read it. Um, yeah, so we don't want to do that. Even though it will take money out of the hands of the state, it will give it to another bureaucracy altogether, who, by the way, completely works with and is enabled by the state. I'm talking about, you know, Linda's Feed the Homeless down the road from you is who you need to get involved with. Absolutely, right? That That's... <laughs> And it's true, too. Andy says the Red Cross sells the Army's blood back to them. They absolutely do that shit, too. And I remember giving blood as a soldier, mainly to get out of work for a couple hours. But, but yeah, that, that does happen, too. Um, you need to find these small charities. And if you don't have any that you like, then you can get together with some people and form one. You can form one. And then you, you donate your money to it, and your money goes and does the thing you want. And you're looking about, a, you know, for every dollar you put into a nonprofit – you can reduce your tax burden by about 30 cents. Is it perfect? No, but it's better than the alternative. I'd rather have Linda's Feed the Homeless have my money than the United States government have my money, and it will do more good, and I can go down to Linda's Feed the Homeless shelter and see if she's doing the right thing with my money, and if she isn't, fuck Linda. I'll go to Tom's Feed the Homeless or Bill's Feed the Homeless or Debbie's Feed the Homeless. The entities that you work with and you contribute to should be small enough and close enough that you can go see what they're doing. Isn't it amazing? We say shit like, well, I don't want my money to go to Ukraine and all these foreign nations. We need to help Americans right here at home. And then what do we do? We write our charity checks to giant charities that send our money all over the world and don't help the people in our backyard. We need to stop that shit. That's part of your programming. That's part of your training. And that's part of your propaganda. And it is programming and training. And it's really important right now to understand that most of what you are taught, you are not taught, you are trained to. I'm talking from the time you walk into pre-K until you come out of a university thinking you're smart because they told you you were, even though you're an idiot. That's all training. And the difference is teaching is, un, is incentivizing the learner to learn in such a way that they're able to learn for themselves. Training is to condition an organism so that it cannot behave differently than your desire. Now, humans are kind of strong-willed beings, so it takes a lot of time to train one. But I can train a tree. I can train a vine. I can train a slime mold. To grow a certain way, and it will have to do what I ask. I train a dog to the point where I look at my dog, Lucy, and I say, Lucy, house. She's going to go in the house every time. Even when she doesn't want to, little uh, in the house. That's training. You've been trained. And the reason you write a check to the Red Cross or some other giant charity is because you were trained that your money is safe that way. Your money is not safe that way. If you write a check to the Red Cross this month for $50, 
All you've done is add a little couple few more gallons of fuel to the CEO's jet. That's what you've done. It's a business and not a very good one. Um, next, make your own alcohol. Do whatever you can to avoid, you know, sin taxes. Anything you can do to get out of that space, go look. When you buy a six-pack of beer or a bottle of wine or a fifth of whiskey, at how much of the money you spend is in taxes. And don't, you know, we, we don't have what they call value-added tax in the United States, so it's not a directly apportioned tax across each stage of distribution. But the, the brewer, the vendor, whatever, pays a lot of taxes. That price is in the price of the product. Same with the wholesaler, distributor, and, and same with the retailer you buy from. So there's multiple levels of taxes in addition to the direct tax on the alcohol. I think if you're engaged in any behaviors, using any substances that are highly taxed, and you can, especially legally, circumvent that system, you should. Absolutely. I don't like to talk about smoking because I am so diametrically opposed to smoking tobacco. I really believe it costs your money and your health and imparts no benefit to yourself at all. Only physical damage to your body. 100% of the time, every time, all the time. And there's a lot of people out there, what about alcohol? Yes, alcohol can destroy your life. No doubt about it. But I know a lot of people who go out on Friday nights and have two beers with their buddies and don't drink the rest of the time. I don't know anybody that smokes like that. Everybody I know that smokes ends up addicted to nicotine through smoking. But if you're going to do it, I would much rather you go out, buy pipe tobacco. There's, I've seen videos of this. There's several brands of pipe tobacco that are very similar, like Marlboro or whatever crap you guys smoke. And you can buy the little, like, they're basically cigarettes that are empty and a little thing that stuffs them. And as expensive as cigarettes are now, it's almost all tax. And it's, people are paying something like 15% of the cost by doing a little bit of work and getting out of that system. I hate smoking, but I'd still rather you do that because it takes money from them. And this is a, we are trying to kill a beast with a thousand paper cuts. So it's a paper cut, but it's another one. And another one, and another one now, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, Angie, good for you. Angie says, just yesterday was four years since we quit smoking. Bet you don't ever regret that you did. I'm sure sometimes maybe you, you might miss certain things about it. I'm sure you don't regret it. You probably don't miss much about it now. Good on you. Congratulations. Uh, next up, avoid using the state's money when possible. When possible. Bitcoin, sure. Gold, sure. Barter, sure. I will tell you that even using cash is better than using a payment solution. And the reason is that the government really can't keep track of cash. That's why they hate it. And the more we circulate cash around without it going back into a system, we've basically taken their cash out of the system. I know this sounds crazy, but let's look at it this way. Let's say that uh, American legend here was my next-door neighbor. He's not, but let's say he was. And let's say I wasn't a reloader. I am, but let's say I wasn't. And let's say I was going to go hunting next week. I'm not, but let's say I am. And I'm like, I, you know, 
last time we went to the range, you had some uh, .30-06 ammo you had loaded, and it was just fantastically accurate in my rifle. And um, I, I'd like to, to get a few boxes of that from you. And he says, you know what? If you're buying Federal Premium or something to store it, maybe paying like 30 bucks a box, I'll sell it to you for 15 and, but I'm, I'm not going to waste my time with it, and, and I don't want to have to keep doing this, so I want 150 bucks. It's $10 a box. and uh, Or 15, 10 boxes, $15 a box. And I say, okay, so I pay him three $50 bills. Yeah. Or four 20s and a 10, whatever, doesn't matter. He takes that money. Now, if he goes immediately and puts it in the bank, it's right back in the system. But if he goes down to the local retail shop that's a little small privately owned business and buys some more equipment and pays them with cash, and you got a shop owner that's doing the fence post money thing that I shouldn't have to explain to you, so I won't. And he says, oh, cash money, here's some stuff. And he says, I'm going to take this cash money, I'm going to put it in my box house. It's still not back in their system, is it? And if his neighbor says, hey, man, my kid's looking to make some money, could he cut your grass? And dude's like, well, I'll pay him 20 bucks a week to cut my lawn. It's not very big. And the kid does. And he basically spends that 150 bucks plus 10 of his own back over, what was it, six weeks, you know, paying his kid to cut his grass. And the kid doesn't run off and buy some shit at Abercrombie and Finch. The kid goes out and buys a motorcycle. You see where this is going. He buys a motorcycle. I know you can't do that for 160 bucks, but I mean, I bought one for 150 bucks back in the eighties that I sold for 150 bucks, like three months later, a little dirt bike. And that, that dirt bike went around all the teenagers in our social group. One guy just sell it to the next. As long as you keep that money moving outside of the tax based system, You've removed it from their control. You're just using it as a storage of value across time. I'd rather use Bitcoin. I'd rather you use silver. I'd rather you use barter. But I'll give you that one, too. I'll give you that one, too. Next, um, start a business. And I didn't say go start selling meth out of your bathtub, right? I said start a business. I want you to start a business. And I want you to legally 100% pay every tax obligation that that business creates for you. I just want you to get a damn good CPA. And if it's a big enough business, I want you to get a tax attorney and a tax strategy. And I want you to reduce the amount of taxes you pay, even though you're making more money. Isn't that fucking fun? Because the United States tax code is huge. It's bigger than two 1980s phone books, and many of you are too young to know what those would have looked like. Let me just say they're really big. They're really big. It's huge. It's massive. But the secret is only about 5% of it says what you have to do, and the other 95% says how you get out of doing the 5%. And if you structure your business properly, you're going to completely reverse the streams, not cross, but reverse the streams on how much money you pay. If you have a job, you go to work, you earn money, you pay taxes, and then you spend or save what's left. And then as you're spending it, you pay more taxes. 
as a business owner, I've moved as much as I legally can, and I do everything legally, into the business so that I work, spend my money, depreciate my assets, and then pay tax on what's left. Isn't that nice? That's anarchy. But Jack, you're paying taxes. A real anarchist wouldn't pay taxes. A real anarchist knows to stay the fuck out of a federal penitentiary. A real anarchist knows to not have all their assets seized by the state. A real anarchist realizes that there's an interactive edge, kind of like on that gray and black back there on that flag, right? This way? I can't do it. I'm backwards, right? <laughs> an interactive edge. Maybe that's why that line is there. You ever notice on the agorist flag, it's gray and black? Because we operate in both the gray markets and the black markets. That's what that's about. Yeah. Jason Elliott says 1980 phone book is half again as thick as the Bible. That's that's probably where you're from in Oklahoma, man. I, I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida in the 80s. The 80s phone book in Jacksonville, Florida is going to be on the video to see it, but about yay thick and there's two of them. Anyway, um, yeah. Start a business. Part of that interactive edge is I like owning a house, right? I like owning a house. So I need a mortgage because I don't want to pay full price for a house. I have to play the state's game a bit to get that mortgage. But I pay a lot less in taxes per dollar earned than an employee does at the same income level, a lot less. So start a business. Form a group and get things done, positive things done. That's an anarchy, by the way. Breaking it down and making it as simple as possible, if you and five other guys meet up at uh, a bar every Thursday night, drink beer and watch Thursday night football at the bar, and then go home, that's an anarchist group. No one made you do it. If Bill's part of the group and he wants to quit, people are like, Bill, it's not going to be the same without you. But nobody goes to Bill's house and abducts him to make him sit down and watch the Cowboys play or whatever. It's an anarchist group. It's just a very ineffective one. All it does is get you a buzz and maybe make you happy and give you some social engagement. But remember, the American Revolution was started in bars and taverns. So maybe it could lead to that. But I'm, I'm saying maybe we have a little bit higher aspirations than watching sports ball and drinking beer. You know, Figure out something that you want to see done to make where you live a little bit better. And organize people around doing it. And don't be like, hey, uh, join my anarchist group and we're going to go scrub graffiti off the walls or whatever. Or go read books to children or something and not be in drag when we do it. You know, it's all the people bitching about drag queen story hour. They're not organizing like their own story hours, reading like wholesome things to children. You ever notice that? Maybe they should. Not defending the drag queens, just calling out the people that point to the problem but are not proactively involved in the solution. Yeah. Fill the void before the weed does. Yeah. But do something. Start perma-blitzing people's yards with their permission. With their permission. I'm not talking about guerrilla perma-blitzing. Though I'm a fan of that on, on like public property and stuff too. But I'm saying like, what if there were a group of people 
that got together and said, maybe they only do this a couple months out of the year, a couple months in the early spring, a couple months in the fall. We will come to your house. You pay for everything. Put out some beer and some pizza or some shit, and we'll put two garden beds and tell you how it works in anybody's backyard that wants to. We're going to do it. All. It's charity. It's free. We just ain't paying for the stuff. We'll give you a list of what you need to buy and have ready for us. And when you call us and tell it's in the backyard, we'll set a time. We'll come by and we'll do it. And we'll give you kind of an overview. And we'll leave you a little printout or just a, a link so you don't have to put up printing money, print paper, right, of all the things you need to know about it. And now you're part of the group. We'd like you to come help us do it for somebody else. Well, you just might change an entire neighborhood that way. But who made you do it? So it's anarchy. Chaz, not anarchy. You're not burning shit, blowing shit up. No, of course, because that's not anarchy. What I just gave you is anarchy. If we would start to do this shit instead of just talking about the shit. That's why I had that gal on. I wore a shirt yesterday, I think. The Vigilantes. The Vigilantes are an anarchist group. They go out and guerrilla garden shit. They also run a food bank. It's an amazing group. And you know what? They've given a template. It's not far off what I just gave you. Get involved. But do something. It doesn't have to be that. It can be a charity and it can be this at the same time or it can be one or the other. Um, be at least a basic prepper, though. You can't be unprepared and be an anarchist. Because an anarchist basic philosophy is, I don't need you. I choose when I interact with you in the way that I choose, but I don't need you. So you can't be like the first time you don't get a paycheck, hey, I need food from a food bank run by the government anyway. You want to be part of a private system where you earn that by contributing to it when you can and drawing from it when you need, that would be actual welfare, okay? Right? Instead of socialism. So you can have private welfare. The Mormon church has a private welfare and jobs system. If you're hungry in America today, anywhere near a Mormon church, it's your own fault. Right? Maybe not every church, but the church can tell you where to go. And they have like these canneries and stuff like that. And, and they'll give you food, but you'll work for it. You go in there, you help everybody, and then they give you a certain amount to take home as welfare, not as charity. You've earned it, and you meet people, and you say, this is what I can do, and I'm looking for a job. And they don't care that you're not Mormon. They will help you find a job. It's amazing that we have things like that that exist. But you should not end up in that level of need immediately because one thing went wrong. So I'm talking a 90-day emergency cash fund, saving your money for retirement, basic shit that even the state says you should do. But they just don't really mean it because they created a system that makes it very hard for you to do that, right? And then they put a 401k in your paycheck plan so you can feel like you're doing it even when you're not. But if you are at least a basic prepper, you have those things done. You also have, let's say, at least 30, if not 90 days worth of food in your home. You have a backup power plan. You have some stored gas. 
You know where you're going to go if you have to leave. All the basic stuff we talk about. If you're going to be an anarchist, you have to do those things. And if you do those things, every one of them is an act of anarchy. Because it's a middle finger to the state. We don't need you. We don't need you. Grow some of your own food. I don't think you have to do this, but I think it's a very proactive thing to do. You're seeing to a need that you have that if you do not see to it, you'll have to rely on somebody else for it. And like I said, I'm not going to raise cattle and I love me some beef. So I'm going to buy beef somewhere else. But I also like jalapeno peppers. So I'm going to grow those. I like herbs. I'm big on medicinal herbs and tea herbs. So I grow that stuff too. But growing some of your own food is a huge step in the right direction. And it also is, to me, the most important thing about it is the mental switch that occurs when you take that step. I've converted more people into liberty mindset with peppers, tomatoes, and eggplant than I have with words. And I talk about this for a living. Think about that. You hand somebody a pepper picked about 10 o'clock in the morning, just being beginning to be warmed by the sun, and they eat it without washing it and realize they're not going to die. While they're eating the pepper, you go pick a cherry tomato, you wrap a basil leaf around it, and you hand them that, and they eat that, and their eyes just bug out of their head. Because most of the time, they've never tasted anything that fresh and real in their life. And then they do the most important thing you can get a person to do when you're trying to sell them an idea. They ask you, how do I do this? And then when you tell them, They come up with an idea about where to do it, and they often run into an impediment that's only there because the state exists or a blue hair HOA exists, and it's eye-opening. I've had several teachers that wanted to do gardens at their schools after having that experience and then realized the school would never let them do it and started to ask the question why. And at least two of those teachers don't teach in the public school system anymore. I never said a word to them about the public school system. I just gave him a pepper and a tomato and a basil leaf and an eggplant. There's a reason that every culture going back as far as we can trace in history was centered around food because we need it. And there's a reason that many places that had already experienced the agricultural revolution when they went and colonized other areas didn't recognize the cultivation and the horticulture and the game management that was going on. I thought it was all wilderness because it's intrinsic to human nature to actually produce our own food and do so in a natural way. We are not locusts on this planet. The system has created a locust uh, culture of plowing and destroying and damaging everything and using chemicals that no culture that was pre-industrial did things that way. You might say it's because they couldn't, but it wasn't in our nature to. When people decided to start controlling others, that's when they commoditized things. When the pharaohs started putting the grain reserves and creating grain bills and realized we could use agriculture to control society, that's when it all went wrong. Slave societies were built around agriculture. Free societies were built around horticulture and game management. So maybe we just need to move in that direction. Self-educate and constantly follow your passions because that is anarchy. You're not learning today from me because somebody said, 
if you don't go and listen to Jack Spirico today and do what he says, then we're going to come to your house and fine you. And if you don't pay the fine, we're going to put you in jail. Nobody did that. You said, oh, Jack's going to talk about living free. I want to know more about that. And you chose to be here. Great. He did some self-directed learning today. Let it inspire you to come up with one thing you want to do in your life. Put a garden bed in. Learn how to repair a small engine. I don't care what it is. Sharpen a knife. Cut a steak. Whatever it is. And then go out and take one thing and learn how to do it reasonably well. And add that to your quiver, your arrows in your quiver of things that you can do. Or things that you know. And things that you can rely on. And things you can do to, because it's not always a, a skill. Learning is valuable. Learning is incredibly valuable, especially with self-directed learning. Because what it does is it begins to give you an actual vaccine, a, a bullshit vaccine, a vaccine against bullshit. The more you know, the less you fall for the state's bullshit. Right? When they tell you how awful it would be without them, the more you know about how things were before they were here, the more you recognize their bullshit. When they tell you, oh, you can't farm in a fully organic natural way, everybody will starve. The more you know about natural farming, regenerative agriculture, the more you recognize their bullshit is because they were paid to say it by the people that sell the chemicals and the patented seeds. That's how empowering real education is. But you have to have real education. You can't go to a person who made a book and said, thou shall learn these things and be standardized tests on them and actually learn. Now, you will learn some things. You'll learn exactly as much as the slave master that is the state needs you to know to be a good slave. Well, they teach us to read and write. You know what a lot of slave masters did? They selected from among their slaves, the ones who had the most potential, and they educated them on how to read and write and do math. Many of the slave masters actually had accountants that were slaves, bookkeepers that were slaves, senior slaves that made the other slaves do their fucking work. Does that sound familiar? A hierarchical structure and the higher ranking slaves were willing to be slaves and enslave their fellow man, least they lose the, what they had, which was pretty good as far as they were concerned. For their lot in life, you know, I got my own house, do the boss's books, make sure that nobody's cheating them amongst the slaves and their slave wages and their tributes, and I don't have to go out in the field and work. If I bitch about this, I'll end up out there and somebody will all say, what can I do? It's the system. Does that sound familiar? So just because they teach you reading, writing, and math, and all the woke ideology they're cramming in you now, and a little bit about history, revisionist as hell, by the way, doesn't mean they actually are teaching you. They're training you and giving you the data that you need to be trainable. I can't train you to obey things I send you in writing if I don't teach you how to read. Yeah, real, real simple. So become self-educated. And I mean, every day, if you don't learn a new thing, you've wasted that day. You've wasted a piece of your dash. Remember, the dash gets shorter every day, every year, every month, every decade. The days are long, but the years are short. I'll keep saying it till it goes into every head. Then... Remove your children from government schools and teach them to self-educate as well. I will right now say, I know that whenever I say this, I get a bunch of people that say, but I can't. First of all, 
the next one has to do with starting to say, how can I versus I can't. All right. So if you're not asking every day, how can I, you'll never find an answer to how you can. And you probably can. But maybe you shouldn't. I'm not here to tell you what to do. So I'm going to say if you put yourself in that category, I really wish you would at least take my advice and ask yourself, how can I? But this still applies to you. So you need to teach them in the time that you have the reality of life and teach them to become self-educated and teach them to question authority. If you can, though, and you can remove them, let me explain what you're really doing. You're raising a generation that will be far more anarcho than ours, number one, because they'll know that the entire belief system that you need this giant apparatus of the state for people to learn is a lie because I learned and I wasn't part of it. That's one thing you're doing. You're also taking money from them. Now, when people say they collect the same amount of taxes, whether my kid goes to school or not, they do. But as schools get smaller and smaller, the amount of money the school qualifies for goes down. And if this happens long enough, and gets big enough, it starts to hurt, and you can already see that. Like I told you yesterday, there is somewhere, they don't know, but 1.7 to 2.5 million homeschool children in America today. Every one of those kids is seen by every public school administrator as a dollar sign, not at a desk. I want you to think about how things have changed in a relatively short amount of time. I was in high school in the 80s. If you didn't go to high school in the 80s, let's say for two days in a row, because you was homesick, because you were out fishing, but your mom and dad said, you can take, you know what, you did all right, you can have a couple days off, I'll write you a note. That was the end of it. That was the end of it. You went in, you had your note, and maybe they called your house, is Johnny homesick? Yeah, he's homesick. Okay, sir, bye. No more talk about it. But my kid was in high school in the 90s and early 2000s. Well, he was in school in the 90s and early 2000s. He was in high school in the early 2000s. I got a thing. When he went showed up to school for the first day, they sent him home with paperwork. That's normal, ninth grade, you know. And it says, if he misses more than one, one day consecutive, you have to have a note from a doctor. Listen, fuckers, I'll pay your salary. And I just, like, we're not doing that. I had a conversation with the vice principal explaining that that was never going to fucking happen. I was a little nicer when I did it. But I'm like, if the kid is sick and I believe he needs to be home, he's my kid. I will keep him home. And he gave me a bunch of rigmarole and we never had to actually deal with it. But I was like, I'm not doing this. And I told him further, I said, if I decide that I'm taking my kid out of school for a week, because I'm taking him on a family vacation, I'm taking my kid where I want to. You can go screw it. And I did put it that way. And again, I think because I did it that way and we were so early into this, never had to deal with anything. It kind of shut it down before it started. It was the initial stages. But now they'll send a fucking truant officer to your house. Well, you can't do that if your kid's not in their school system. But why do they do that? Because the state apportions money to each school and district based on how many bodies are in how many seats, how many days a year. And when that accumulates, they get less money. So I'm just saying, instead of a couple of days, let's just do the whole damn thing. Because they're not teaching your kids. They're not enabling your kids to be lifelong learners. 
They're not putting the best interests of your child first. They are following the conformity of the bureaucracy that pays their salaries. And that is not a way to education the next generation. We cannot afford for the entire next generation to be educated in their system. We cannot afford it because we're all going to be old fucks. We're all going to have blue hair not that long from now. And we're going to rely on them. And there better be at least 10 to 20% of them with their heads on straight or we're fucked. So do it out of self-interest, if nothing else. Because self-interest is fine, by the way. It's totally okay. You've been taught that self-interest is bad. Let me tell you something. Everybody acts in their own self-interest all the time. You know, well, I don't want to do this, but I do it because, and whatever they say next involves consequences that they don't want, so they are acting in dun 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 their fucking self-interest. See, anarchists, we accept that. Everybody acts in their self-interest, and no amount of laws and regulations will change the fact that people act in their self-interest. So in the end, no matter how much behavior you steer, people are still going to act in their best interest, which means economically, you can never control a managed economy. It's like trying to control space and the orbit of a planet. It's going to follow certain rules and laws of physics and cosmology, and it's going to orbit. You're not going to change it. No more than you're going to change how people behave with your money. The more you tax money, the more of it goes underground. The higher you raise interest rates, the more people seek private solutions. There's no, Gresham's law is real. That's why you can't find a silver quarter in circulation for shit today. 1980s, we found them all the time. Now, maybe you'd go through... 50 quarters to find one, but if you went through 50 quarters, you're probably going to find at least one. I mean, I remember back in the 80s, we'd go to the bank and buy like two or three rolls of quarters, go through them and find, you know, half a dozen silver ones, put them aside, roll them back up, take them back to the bank. And we got the silver quarters for a quarter apiece is effectively what was happening there. Do that today. Go through a thousand rolls of quarters. You might find two. Maybe. You might find none. Might get lucky and find 10. But it won't be like it was back then. Because economics is a law. It's not a theory. It's a law. Real economics. It's like gravity. It doesn't matter who did what fucking equation to prove it. It doesn't matter if it's curved space or not. Gravity itself is a law that doesn't give a fuck what you think. Go throw some shit off a roof and you'll see it in action. It doesn't care. Go up onto a roof, decide you don't believe in the law of gravity, and jump the fuck off. Mind there is no productive individual below you before you do it. Because you're about to learn a hard-ass lesson. Gravity does what gravity does. Economics do what economics do, and people do what people do. And you cannot control it. And any belief that you can is an illusion. And only psychopaths, sociopaths, and megalomaniacs believe otherwise. If you believe otherwise, I don't mean that you're one of those three things. You don't really believe it. You've been just trained and conditioned to accept it. The people that actually believe it are the ones actively doing it. That's who I'm talking about. Last, every single time a law, a regulation, etc., anything, prevents you from doing something that you claim you want to do. I need you to do something for me. I need you to do this for me. I don't usually say it that way. I usually say I think you should. Or I need you to do this for me. 
because I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. I need you to ask yourself a question. How can I get around it? I don't care if the answer you get is a can't. But I don't want to make it that easy either. You're not allowed. Again, I don't like saying it this way, but you're not allowed if you're going to do this for me. I'm asking you to. I'm not demanding you. Do it for me. You're not allowed to ask it once, come up with that answer once and let it go. You have to do it for at least two full weeks, not work weeks. You don't get Saturday and Sunday off. It doesn't take that long. You determine you really want to do X. And you, you start mapping out how to get X done, and you run into an impediment. I can't do X because the government says Y. Then you say how. When they say Y, you say how. How can I get around it? What can I do differently? If you do that every day for 14 days, if there is a way around it, you'll probably find it. And this is what's going to happen. You're going to find a way around it, and you're going to keep mapping it forward, and you're going to find another one. Human nature, find reasons you can't. All I'm saying is I need you, then again, two weeks of how can I, how can I. And if you get an answer in four days, don't keep doing this. Map that shit out and keep going. You'll find that the vast majority of people that say shit like, well, if it wasn't for the government, I would. No, you wouldn't. You're full of steaming bullshit. You've literally gone out in the field behind the bull, picked up the steaming pile of bullshit, and crammed it down your throat to avoid doing the thing you claim you want to do. I'm sorry. It's true. I've seen it dozens of times. Somebody comes to you. I wish I could do this, but blah, 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 blah. And since you've practiced this your whole life, you immediately look at it and go, oh, well, all I got to do is this, this, and this. I'm like, wow. You know, they either give you some song and dance about why it won't work without even considering it. Or they're like, wow. I'm going to do that. And nine times out of ten, if you talk to him a few months later, have you gotten anywhere with it? No, I found another problem. Okay. You got a solution? No, man. No, I don't have another solution for you. I said I knew there was one. Oh, there's plenty. I just know what I'm dealing with now. And I'm not in the business of driving into the mud and then complaining about being stuck. I don't do that. I just don't go in the mud. You showed me that you're the mud. I'll take my truck elsewhere. You're not worthy of my time and my contributions here because you could have done something and you did nothing. You looked for another reason. So assuming that's not your problem, assuming you really believe that there are things that you cannot do that you want to do because the government says you can't, that's what I need you to do. And if it's like, but I don't have enough money, how can I get enough money? Every day for 14 days consecutively. One thing at a time. Make it easy for you. You get up in the morning, take a crap, have a shower, take a walk, drink your coffee. On the way to work, if you still have a job, and you probably do if this is your problem, because as soon as you start running a business, you, you start solving problems like this. Because you, you realize, like, so no, no one's going to fix this? Fuck, I got to do it? Who do I ask if it's okay if I do it? No one? Shit. I better get on it, right? So your mind switches. That's why one of the steps is run a business. But all the way to work, how can I? Mentally play it out. If you listen to my podcast, don't stop listening. I need you to listen. Listen to 10 minutes. Hit pause. Ask the question. Think for 30 seconds. Turn the show back on. Let me prod your mind, even if I'm talking about making tomatoes or something. 
It'll work. Trust me. Ask me how I know. How can I get around it? I've gotten around so many things. And I'm not talking about getting away with. I'm talking about getting around. Getting away with means I figured out a way to do it where they don't see it. And even though I'm not supposed to do it, I get away with it. I'm okay with that. I think it's a fine strategy, especially let's say the thing that you're doing is a profitable venture. And that profitable venture puts $10,000 a year in your pocket, and it doesn't take that much time. And it's something you would do anyway for free. If the risk is if you get caught, you go to prison for two years, you probably shouldn't do that. It will destroy your life. If the risk is if you get caught, the absolute worst thing that will happen the first time you get caught is a $500 fine. Well, shit, Pfizer pays billions of dollars in fines every year. And they just put it down on a balance sheet as a cost of doing business. So that's okay, but it's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is running up against things you can't do technically on paper. Figuring a map out around it to where you can write a letter to the chief of fucking police or the bureaucrat of your choice or whatever and say, listen, asshole, you said I can't do this, but I'm doing it. And they look at it and go, well, shit, I think he can do that. I don't really know what we, now I wouldn't write the letter. Because when you stick it in their face, that's when somebody comes up and goes, we need a law with more teeth in it, like bitch face, whatever her name is in Ireland right now. We need a new hate crime law because we don't have enough convictions under the old crime law. I know that's not an Irish accent. I can't do one. So I'm just doing a bitch accent. Yeah. I'm probably going to Irish prison again. You'll have to extradite me, bitches, and I ain't going willingly. All right. But that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about doing it in such a way that even if, if you're observed doing it, and you're confronted by the state for doing it, you can say, well, look, it says right here on this piece of paper that if I do these things, that I can do the thing that you say I can't do. Well, I've done these things. Here's another piece of paper over here, and it shows where I did all the things that I needed to do to be able to do this, and I'm operating as a private membership association, or I've gotten a permit of it. I've done the thing that I need to do. I'm actually headquartered in another county, whatever it is. I've worked around it, and I appreciate you coming by to check things out today, Officer Friendly. Have a great day. Be safe out there. God bless you. Don't be a dick. I mean, that's one of my rules. Don't be a dick. Just don't be a dick, but there's a second part to that rule. Unless you have to, and then be a dick as quickly and efficiently as possible. So you lead with not being a dick, but if you have to be, oh, I'm sorry, you weren't going to leave? Okay. What are you doing? I, I'm I'm calling your boss, and then I'm calling my, my counsel. Oh, Jack, you're supposed to be an anarchist. Well, I'm in their system now. I'm using their system against them. Right? I'm also a pacifist, but if you try to punch me in the face, I will punch the shit out of you back. That's all I'm saying. Aikido. Right? Aikido. Judo. These martial arts are all about using the momentum and strength of your opponent against them. Boxer, you ask him what the hardest punch is, and it'll probably be whatever he throws the hardest, but it'll probably be something like a right cross or something like that, or a hook. You ask a judo master what the hardest punch is, he'll say, you hitting the ground. That's the hardest punch. You hitting the ground. Doesn't matter how I get you there, just that I get you there. That's the hardest punch. That's the hardest blow. You hit the ground. 
you hit the ground, boom. That's hard. When I was a bouncer in a bar for a couple of years and I was a young man, I hit one person the entire time. He hit the wall, actually. I just assisted him. So I'll use the opponent's inertia and strength against them when it benefits me to do so. So I'll have officer friendly understand I'm not going to be bullied, but I'm not going to be a dick. And if I have to be a dick as quickly, efficiently as possible. Final thoughts. If you feel like you're not ready to be an anarchist yet, I'll just ask you this. You listened and you made it all the way to here. Is Andy, he says political jujitsu. I actually call it status jujitsu because it's really about the state, not about the politics. But I like both of those terms. Good on you. Anyway, if you feel I can't be an anarchist, I can't be like Jack. Not ready yet. It's okay. Can you write your own contracts and exclude the state? Attempt to resolve all differences in the absence of the state. Create or find a nonprofit truly consistent with your views. Make your own alcohol or in other ways avoid sin taxes. Avoid using the state's money when possible. Start a business. Form a group that gets positive things done. Be at least a basic prepper. Grow some of your own food. Self-educate. Constantly follow your passions. Remove your children from the government schools or at least educate them your, on your time. And every time you see a law or a regulation or any obstacle getting your way, can you simply ask yourself the question, how can I get around it? Can you do those things? If and if you go, well, I can do that and that and that and that, but I can't do this one. Shut up, bitch. Seriously. Really? Did you learn anything today? I can't do that one. Do you have parsley disease? You know what parsley disease is? Here's how to make chicken soup, and it includes put some chopped parsley in it at the end. I don't have any parsley. Can't make the soup. Shut up, bitch. Go make the soup without parsley. You can leave some of these things out. Every one of them is a step. When a baby gets up and takes its first step and falls on its ass, you know, there's that little thing kids did real quick to like fall backwards and land on the diaper. Right? Look at you, stupid baby. You only made it one and a half steps, you stupid baby. Don't even bother walking. You suck. We don't do that. We're like, oh my god, he took a step. Take my fingers. Come on, let's do some more steps. Treat yourself that way. Take one step in the right direction, and then take another, and another, and another, and don't look back until you've been at the game for like a year or two. But all along the way, kind of write down in a journal where you are, what your thoughts are. A year into it, go back to day one of that journal. Read it. You know what you're going to do? I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Ask me how I know. Because I went through this shit in my 20s. It's why I'm sitting here in my 50s as a professional podcaster and have been doing that for 15 years. Because I did the things I'm telling you today in my 20s. And I didn't know anarchy was what I was doing. But I did all these things. Finding my way toward what I wanted acting in my self-interest. So I know what happens when you journal your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions and your doubts for a year. But you also work on getting past them. When you read that one-year-old entry, you go, what a fucking loser. 
what kind of dumb fuck wrote this? You go, wait a minute, that was me. And this is why I'm only so hard on people. It's a growth experience. And anarchy, above all things, is growing up. So we can grow up and we can grow old. And the two things are not the same. Many people cease growing about 20, 21, 22 years of age. This kind of stop. Or 28, 29, 30, somewhere in there they hit that groove where they're basically comfortable, but they've accepted their chains, and growth ceases. Learning eternally is growing eternally all the way to the point where you can no longer fog a mirror. With that, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did and you want to support us, there's a lot of ways to do that. One is you can become a member of the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members, including archives of all 3,410 episodes of the Survival Podcast and Zip Files, all the way back to episode one. Don't talk about that a lot. That's one of the things you get. You also get discounts to like 70 different vendors, stuff you're buying anyway. Your membership pays for itself, and you can help support me for 18 cents an episode. I don't mean to be egotistical or anything, but I feel like I gave you more than 18 cents worth of value today. So if you're not a member, consider becoming a member. The other thing you can do is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. My item of the day today is one of those things that follows my advice of price-to-value ratio. Buy the best you can afford, but buy what does the job well. Don't buy the best that there is unless there's a reason for it. So there's no doubt you can go out and spend five, six hundred bucks or more on a cutting board. I've done it. I, I at, at the workshop, I took two or three people that were asking me about what I meant by a problem, and I showed them. It's one of my addictions. I have all kinds of cutting boards. I really do, and I love them. But this is the one I use every day. It's an end grain bamboo cutting board. There's some things I really like about what it's thick and heavy, rubber feet so it doesn't move. Two, there's a groove. I don't know if you can see it in the image there, but there's a groove that goes all the way along the outside. So when you put a steak on there, and even though you rested it, you cut it and juice, it doesn't go on the countertop. It just works great. I've had mine since 2018. It's 2023. It's still like new. If you read my write-up, I, I give you information in there about like people that complain about their cutting boards going bad on Amazon. Almost inevitably, it's because they're idiots. And they haven't self-directed learned how to take care of a cutting board. So even if you already have a cutting board, if you want to keep it in great shape, read the article today anyway. Because it tells you in the PS exactly how to take care of your cutting board. But if you do it with this board, you probably, you're, you'll be dead. And if unless they hawk it when you're gone, your grandkid will be cutting stuff on it. They're great. It's beautiful. 69 bucks. And so this is a board that performs as well as a $200 board for 69 bucks. And I'll tell you this. you got a foodie in your life. No one is going to be unhappy that you got them something like this. It's just a really beautiful, inexpensive, well-made uh, end grain bamboo cutting board. End grain is important with cutting boards because when you have end grain, you have basically a lot of little fibers sticking up and your knife blade goes in between those fibers and it's less likely to dull your blade and the board will stand up just like a bristle dartboard will stand up better across time, especially if you take care of it. Uh, just a fantastic tool. And again, it is that time of year where people are out looking for presents and things like that for people. And so this would be a great one. And remember, I do have a list out 
of the T-SPAS gift ideas for Christmas 2023, like 15 of my best ideas for gifts out of the T-SPAS catalog. And down here at the bottom, while some of them maybe aren't good gifts, I also have a list of the top 10 best-selling items through T-SPAS this year. And remember, if you help us out by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com, no matter what you buy, you help us, even if it's not something we've directly recommended. Anyway, guys, I really hope you enjoyed today's show. I really hope you take it to heart. I need you to do this for me, so many of you, because I want success in your life. Sometimes I feel more than you do. That's how I really feel a lot of times about it for people. If you'll do the, if you don't do anything else I said today, if you will make a commitment to yourself, not to me, right now, this minute, that from now on, when I really want something, when I get to a point where I think I can't have it because of this thing, if you ask, how can I, and say you can't, and do it for 14 days on that one thing, a year from now, if you look back at the person you were today, November 28th, 2023, you're like, what a fucking loser I was. God, I'm glad I'm not that person anymore. Here's the real secret. This never ends. You keep doing it. And in 2025, you'll look back and say, man, what kind of loser language was this bullshit I was spewing last year? And if you think it ends, it doesn't. I still do this process to better myself every day. I'm not big on the journaling anymore. I've kind of gotten past that. But I am big on the mental exercise every single time. But I can't. How can I? And I'll be honest with you. At times it will get you in trouble. You'll do more than you should at one time. God knows I've done that. But I'd rather be an overachiever with a list of failures than an underachiever with none. Anyway, guys, with that, take care. I'll catch you tomorrow with another episode. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month.